back into car radio. You're on 910 AM, the Superstation. I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for the Detroit News. Great to have you on for our second hour today. And uh, those of us in uh, media and I think in Chevy Nation have been waiting a long time for this truck. The ZR2 badge has been out there on the Chevy Colorado ZR2, uh, one of, if not the most capable, mid-sized uh, pickup truck out there, um, shod with Multimatic uh, shocks, the same Multimatic that does Formula One shocks. And uh, we've been expecting a, a ZR2 badge to appear on the Silverado, and it's here. And uh, we're joined by Chad Hall today. He's a uh, race car driver who's really uh, been spending a lot of time with Chevy, Chevy Silverado ZR2. Chad, how are you? Uh, good, how are you? Doing good. Great to have you on the program. And, um, yeah, before we get into this beast, uh, tell folks about, uh, tell folks about yourself a little bit. Uh, you've got a lot of experience in the, uh, off-road arena. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, this, one of the sons of Rod Hall, who uh, raced the very first Baja 1000 back in uh, 1967. So I grew up in the sport, and in uh, uh, the, the early 90s, I started my off-road racing career with AM General Hummer, and uh, spent 13 years racing the H1, and then moved into uh, GM's Hummer with the Hummer H3. Um, in 2008, 9, and 10. And uh, then when Hummer kind of went away, um, I built a uh, trophy truck and ran that on my own for quite a few years. And then in 2017, um, started driving the, the Colorado ZR2 for Chevrolet, and, and we haven't looked back since. Yeah, that's some pretty good stuff. I think... Uh... I think your sister is uh, doing a lot of off-road racing with a competitor brand, is she not? Well, that's actually my brother's daughter. Uh, okay. Yes, he is uh, out there doing it as well. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, she's a riot. I love uh, I love spending time with uh, her. Uh, that's a uh, that's a great resume. And and um, as I said, we 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 all love uh, the Colorado uh, ZR2. Uh, now we got the Chevy Silverado ZR2 uh, coming. Uh, the, talk about the, the two trucks. What have you guys learned from the Colorado ZR2, and uh, how does that apply to the Silverado? Well, you know, I, I, um, this is only um, an opinion of somebody from the outside looking in. It's not necessarily the truth. But, you know, when, when we hooked up the Chevrolet in 2017, and started working on uh, the Colorado ZR2 race truck. Um, the first drive I had with it um, down in, we went to DPG in Yuma, and we went up to Parker, and, you know, it, it was one of those things, it's like, you know, um, we got a ways to go. And uh, it was kind of, I, I think, maybe Chevrolet's first step, not really into off-roading, but into the off-road racing part of it. And so it took us it took us about a year to really get the uh, Colorado up to speed, which which it's you know it's at now. I mean it's just it's just running great. And it's the only truck uh, that has raced every best in the desert race from Vegas to Reno in 2017, and has finished every mile of every race since. Um, so not only is it fast and capable, you know it's durable and reliable. 
And so I think the biggest difference I see with going into the Silverado ZR2 is Chevrolet has got so much more off-road performance background that they hit it right, right out of the box. And so it is, um, you know, it's a lot like the Colorado ZR2, just more, you know, more of everything, more power, more braking, more room, more performance, more ground clearance. Um, the ride is awesome. So, um, you know, that's, from my perspective, kind of how things have gone. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's fascinating because uh, Chevy obviously has been in uh, road racing, on track racing for some time. It it, it, it uh, benefits uh, programs like uh, Corvette tremendously. You know, when you got a we got a C8R out there pounding around Daytona for 24 hours, you learn so much that you can apply to a production car, and uh, it's exciting to have that. Uh, same experience now with these trucks. This has really become a hot segment in trucks, uh, whether it's a Ford Raptor, uh, Ram's got a TRX, you guys have the ZR2, Ram runs a, a Rebel. I mean, this is, this is what people want in big, in big trucks now. I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, not only do they want um, the off-road performance, but they want the on-road ride, and they want the creature comforts, and they want a tow, and they want a haul. So, you know, you're asking a lot to be able to provide a vehicle that can do everything good. Yeah, I think that the take rate on Trail Boss and um, um, uh, the other other uh, off-road trim escapes me uh, for Silverado is already like 60%. So, obviously, the CR2 is coming right into the wheelhouse of the brand. Uh, uh, talk about it a little bit. Uh, how, how does how does the ZR2 take the Silverado uh, to the next level? Well, so you know, I personally, obviously, I, I have a race version of the ZR2, and uh, those are a little bit more difficult to um, you know compare with other vehicles because um, you know they're they're race vehicles. They're fully caged. They've got um, you know. Uh, fuel cells, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, you drive them like you stole them. Uh, and then you do that for 500 miles. You take it back to the shop and you go through the whole thing. Whereas with your typical, uh, like, ZR2 or Trail Boss or whatever, you know, that's something that somebody's going to drive every day and take it out and have fun with it but not want to do maintenance to it. And so I've got a, I've got a Trail Boss that I uh, tow my uh, Silverado ZR2 with. And, you know, I drive it every day to work, and it's comfortable. Uh, it, gets, it gets awesome mileage. It's got the 6.2 in it. Um, it's a great truck to drive. Um, but, you know, it's more of a truck that's been lifted with a bigger tire on it so that you can go off-road with it. But it's not really a truck that you would consider it to be, you know, something that would be more of a performance-level vehicle. So they basically took the Trail Boss concept and have just expanded on it with, um, you know, the Multimatic shocks are really quite amazing. Um, I, I have another company, and we do military vehicle suspension upgrades. And so I've been around the shock uh, world for many, many, many years. And the Multimatic spool valve, it, it's just, it's not like any other shock. And it dampens, you know, really, really odd. I mean, it's like typically if you're in a vehicle and you're driving over a washboard road or a road with embedded rock in it, you would expect 
you know, sharp inputs to come in and vibration to come in through the truck. Now, regardless of what your, you know, what, what your, your shock is, if it's deflective disc, you typically get the high speed, uh, vibrations into the truck, but the Multimatic, you know, I don't know exactly why it does what it does, but it takes, um, you know, eight inch tall washboard and turns it into glass. We, you know, we're we're racing both both the Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2. These trucks are basically purchased from my local dealership. Uh, they're made race legal with all the safety components and stuff like that. But they're stock. You know, they got power windows, they got AC, they got you know all the interior trim in it, and and you're going over these huge washboards at 40 miles an hour. And the vehicle's not skating around; it's riding smoothly. And the best part is, you know, it, it it doesn't bring the shock loads into the vehicle, so it doesn't unscrew your screws and 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 crack your body panels and stuff like that. So certainly, the Multimatic is a huge upgrade in both ride and performance. And then, of course, it's got you know, it's got the modified front bumper for better approach angles. It's got all the skid plates and stuff like that. So it's really taken, you know, like the Trail Boss and then brought it up to where it really needs to be uh, for a great off-road vehicle. Front and rear e-lockers, uh, the 33-inch tall tires, it's it's a very capable, fun vehicle. Yeah, and then you, and then you get inside the thing, and it's uh, and you're in the lap of luxury. I mean, the, the, the interior of this new... Uh, Silverado and uh, folks can see it in the ZR2 is is tremendous. I mean, I the the you're, you're running a stock truck, so you're running this big 13 inch screen, and you got the 12 and a half inch digital instrument display behind the the uh, steering wheel as well. Yep. So yeah, I've never personally myself have have owned a nice luxury car. Everything I have um, is pickup is pickup trucks, and I got a lot of them. And uh, the Silverado ZR2, when you get inside of it, I mean, it's like uh, the nicest vehicle I've ever been in. It's just beautiful. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not only a step up from uh, the the from the uh, the previous uh, Silverado, but to your point, I mean, it's right there with what you're seeing in luxury vehicles these days, from BMW, Mercedes, Cadillac. I mean, these big. Uh, digital screens they're they're beautiful it's 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 really a a startling interior so um so you take this thing as you say as a production truck you take this the best in the desert uh race series uh talk about that a little bit what kind of punishment are you guys putting this truck through in, in best in the desert well, so um, we just got done running uh, Vegas Torino, so that's uh, roughly a 500-mile off-road race from Las Vegas Torino. And, you know, all of uh, off-road racing is very well organized. It's a sanctioned event, you know, with permits from the Bureau of Land Management, stuff like that. So it's very important that the racers and the organizers follow all the rules and, and uh, you know, so that we don't jeopardize our opportunities opportunities to race in the future so basically everybody has uh on board a satellite tracking device which monitors where you're driving so basically the race course is down existing uh roads and trails and granted they may not be very good but they're certainly a trail or washes or something like that and basically the race course is 12 feet off the center line of that road so you're basically required to drive right down the road. So it's uh, Vegas Torino this year was the largest entry ever. It was like 400 vehicles. 
and wow. we raise production trucks, so we are towards the back of the field. We are one of the slower classes because, you know, obviously we're stock. So you have, you know, 30, 40, uh, 1,100 horsepower trophy trucks, and then you have, you know, 800 horsepower buggies and all these trucks with 40-inch tall tires that have gone in front of you, and it, it takes whatever the road was and makes it really, really bad. And so when I'm talking about going over eight-inch tall washboard, I mean, everybody's been down a washboard road, but that's a washboard road that has been turned into washboard by just a regular truck. And so when we go down these roads, they're, they're just destroyed. And so it might be silt with boulders in it. So, you know, the, the tires sunken down in the silt, yet you're still smashing the bottom of the vehicle on every rock that's under the silt bed. So it's not like, you know, and that goes back to kind of what I was talking about, how when Chevrolet got in this with the Colorado ZR2, I don't really think they knew what they were getting into because they did all of their development or a lot of their development at uh, DPG. But when you get onto an off-road race course, it's the worst, the worst. And, you know, and we're not driving a trophy truck who has all the suspension and the big tires, all that kind of stuff on the best road. Uh, We're starting last. We're driving on the worst road. So these things get pounded like you just can't believe. And it's not like we can just drive um, as slow as we want to go and get to the finish. We've got to drive at a pace. Um, that is typically around 30 miles an hour average um, in order for us to go 500 miles and get to the finish line before the finish line closes. So we have to, we, you know, we have to drive fast and we might be going, you know, 107 across a dry lake bed, or we might be going 10 miles an hour. So it's, it's really um, a stress test for sure. And it's not just on the off-road component, uh, components like the skid plates and the tires and wheels, that kind of stuff, it's on everything. You know, imagine taking uh, the nicest vehicle you've got and then just shaking the instrument panel cluster and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's a, you know, like the Colorado ZR2, which has finished every mile of every race for four and a half years, that's a testament to everything. The wiring harnesses, the radiator core support, but, you know, the headlight pockets, everything. And when you look at the quality of, of the Chevrolet trucks today, um, you know, they're phenomenal. Uh, I was talking uh, to one of the Chevrolet engineers uh, about the new Silverado uh, ZR2 when we were getting ready to race it. I said, hey, you know, the, the Colorado has been such a great truck. It's, it's basically indestructible. Um, you know, I'm, I, I said, I'm concerned that the Silverado is not going to live up to that standard. And he said, you know, don't worry about it. It's even stronger. And, and that has been the case. It's just been a phenomenal, phenomenal truck with super durability and great speed. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, I, I know the uh, Chevy uh, engineer is doing a tremendous amount of work on this uh, chassis. I mean, it's uh, – you know, Ford's got into it, gone into exotic uh, aluminum with their uh, body, and, and, and Chevy is really concentrated on lightweighting and using uh, multi-strength uh, steels. They, they've got a uh, – uh, they've always had the best uh, bed in class. So, yeah, that's, that's fascinating that they're obviously benchmarking to what you got to take it through on these best-in-the-desert rides. This, uh, this ZR2 also has twin-locking – uh, differentials. You guys uh, get to use those on the off-road course. Well, so we have. Um, it, it, it's kind of an interesting fact that probably most people don't know. But most off-road vehicles 
um, are not four-wheel drive. They are two-wheel drive. And it's only been uh, recently in history when people have gotten enough technology to build, like, four-wheel drive trophy trucks. Uh, typically, if you race in four-wheel drive, you break uh, drivetrain components like front differentials or the transfer case or whatever. Um, and so um, with the Chevrolet ZR2, one of our concerns was, can we race this truck in four-wheel drive? And the way that their the transfer case works uh, on the Silverado, um, you're able to run them in four-wheel drive and not damage the drivetrain. So fortunately for me, um, we ran both the Colorado uh, ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 in four-wheel drive and have never had to engage in the locker in a race condition. Yeah, that's fascinating. So the trophy trucks you guys are running, or they, they tend to be rear-wheel drive, huh? Yeah, so they're all, yeah, so they, they're all two-wheel drive, or they, they have been for up until just a couple of years ago. Um, and what it is, you know, if you think about a four-wheel drive, having the front differential and the rear differential locked together with the transfer case, and then you're, you know, running through big whoops at 100 miles an hour with 40-inch tires, you get back torque um, every time you hit the leading edge of a whoop, you're putting back torque into the front tires and then back into the drivetrain. So that back torque might be opposing what the rear tires are doing. And so, I mean, within 15 miles, you go out and you just blow something up. So um, we have a, uh, I have a Silverado um, four-wheel drive spec truck, which is like one class down from trophy truck. It's basically a trophy truck, but with a stock uh, LS, you know, crate motor, a a sealed engine. So we're running like 525 horse. And we uh, built this truck about four years ago, and uh, we used Humvee hubs on the front. And Humvee hubs on the front allowed us to cut the back torque uh, in half because it's a, you know, it runs a portal hub with a 192 to 1 gear ratio. So basically, our truck thinks we're two-wheel drive, even though we're four-wheel drive. But now what the guys have done, uh, Mason, who's building just these beautiful they call them all-wheel drive because they're not locked, uh, all-wheel drive trophy trucks. They run sprags in the front diff. So if you're on the throttle, you're in four-wheel drive. But if you get back torque, it free, you know, you're able to freewheel going backwards. So there's probably 10 four-wheel drive race trucks that run, you know, Destin Desert or Score, and all the rest are two-wheel drive. Yeah, no, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah, Chad, uh, um, yeah, it's fascinating to, to hear, hear the punishment you, you guys put these vehicles through. I mean, it's a, it's a real testimonial for the Silverado and, and how good this vehicle is going to be for folks who just want to take it through the normal paces. Um, good, good luck, and uh, you got more Best in the Desert races this year? Yeah, we've got uh, Lockwood coming up here um, in uh, two weeks. We actually, because of COVID, some of our races were postponed. So we have a busy, a busy end of the year. We have uh, two more Best of the Desert races with both the both the ZR2s and then the Mint 400, which will be probably the most punishing re, uh, race we run all year. So we still have three more races, and then we turn around and start again uh, in January. That sounds great. Good luck the rest of the year. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's Chad Hall. Race driver for uh, Chevy Silverado ZR2 and Colorado ZR2. We're going to take a break here, and on the other side, we'll be talking more racing with Stephen Cole Smith. You're on Car Radio 910 AM.
for only 200 bucks. Call All About Technology now. And if the laptop or desktop you already have isn't working, get it fixed today. Call 313-218-4888. That's 313-218-4888. We're All About Technology. 910 AM Superstation has the greatest advertising deal ever with our Godfather package. 200 spots for $500 with a must-air-within-30-day policy. That is only $2.50 per spot, and we will even produce the spots free. That's right, free. Call Bronisha Williams now at 313-434-8291. Are you looking for a great deal on TV advertising? Are you searching for an avenue to get your business name out to the public? With WADL TV 38, we're offering a great special with 50 commercial ads for a great price. This offer is for a 30-day ad placement and can be renewed as often as you choose. Please contact Ronisha Williams for more information at 313-434-8291. That's 313-434-8291. Or email at R-O-N-E-S-H-A at WADLDetroit.com. Are you drowning in debt? Struggling just to make minimum payments? It's not your fault. Serious debt can happen to anyone, but there is hope. Our debt-free program has helped thousands of good people, just like you, eliminate their credit card debt. Call us today, and we will dramatically reduce your credit card debt down to just a fraction of what you owe. The call is free. The consultation is free. Take control of your credit debt. Take control of your life again. Call now to see how our debt-free program can work for you. Call 800-872-5230. After January 14th, Microsoft will no longer provide security updates for Windows 7. Continued use will leave your PC vulnerable to security risk. Call All About Technology today at 313-218-4888. We're all about technology. Who else but 910 AM can give you this much excitement? I'm Henry Payne, auto columnist for Detroit News. You are on car radio. Full swing here on Saturday. Well, I just have a stream coming through here talking about cool cars, classic cars, hot rods, muscle cars. We've got a great lineup for you today. Best car radio show in all of Michigan. Catch it all right here on 910 AM Superstation. 910, the Superstation. The oldest radio station in town since 1922. Superstation, and uh, give us a call here, 313-778-7600. If you want to join the conversation, we're talking a little bit more racing here with our good friend Stephen Cole-Smith, race writer at Auto Week, car and driver, also writes for publications like Grassroots Motorsports. And, uh, Steve, we're just talking the previous segment with Chad Hall, who's uh, racing these production ZR2 Chevys all over the place. That that sounds that sounds as brutal as racing Corvettes in 24-hour races. Boy, doesn't it? It sounds like something that would uh, at least shake your kidneys up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it's great to see, and it was interesting to hear Chad uh, talk about how much uh, Chevrolet has learned in the off-road world. They're relatively new. 
uh, to that. Hopefully they'll take uh, this vehicle to Baja at some point. And uh, they've certainly they've certainly learned a lot in the in the on track world over the years with with Corvette and had tremendous success. Absolutely, uh, that should be a great program in Chad Hall. Son of the great Rod Hall is uh, a good guy to have on your side when it comes to off-road racing. So, uh, big weekend this weekend. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on uh, in the racing world. This morning I was watching the F1 boys uh, do a sprint race for their qualifying, which which I love. I'm a sprint racer. Uh, the SCCA uh, style racing I do, we're, we're doing 15, 20 lap races. It's kind of fun to see the F1 boys out there doing sprint races. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, nobody's that interested in qualifying, so why not just have them race? I think that would be a, a good way to maybe even uh, spread in a NASCAR and IndyCar. They ought to keep a good close eye on that and see if they think it would work for their format. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it makes the uh, the teams nervous that you're going to destroy something in qualifying, and next thing you know, you're at the back of the grid uh, for race on Sunday. But uh, it was it was good stuff out there at Monza today. That's the second uh, one of these sprint qualifying races they've done. It's really entertaining. The uh, and you got the IndyCar boys coming back. They I don't know where they've been. They've been away for a while, but they're going to be out at Portland this weekend. Yeah, Portland tomorrow, and then uh, two more races back to back weekends. They're, they want to. They did a survey years ago, and whoever did the survey said that they needed to be opposite, uh, or at least not opposite the NFL. You know, they need to finish their season before the NFL started. So that's what they're doing. So they'll be done by uh, the end of this month. What do you uh, what do you make of IndyCar right now? I, lo- I love the series. They're going into to Portland, which is a different kind of track. I mean, these guys run some some big, fast tracks like Coda and you know ovals like Texas. Uh, Portland's a Port- Portland's a pretty cramped place. Yeah, it's a tough little track. I've been out there. It's been a while, but uh, people tend to forget that they even do that. It used to be the GI Joe. 200 if you remember years ago uh and uh that was uh that always got them some attention but yeah it should be a great race uh i think indycar is doing a good job i think they finally settled down into a really nice rhythm they've got some good cars they've got some good drivers uh i think indycar is in a really strong position right now compared to where it was say five years ago yeah they they, they got a great crop of new drivers coming up really exciting a uh, group of young talent to go with uh, some of the veterans out there. Great to see Castor Nevis uh, back after his Indy 500 win. Is he going to be out there at Portland this weekend? You know, I don't know. I think he is. I thought that was uh, that the contract he signed was immediate, and since there's only three races left, I imagine he's probably going to be there. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, yeah. It's just a neat mix of drivers and, and teams. The competition couldn't be closer. I haven't had you on the program since Nashville. Uh, by all accounts, Nashville was a tremendous commercial success. Uh, the city just embraced the race. Uh, uh, fans were crammed into every nook and cranny of that downtown street course, but that may have been the worst 
race I I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it wasn't a great race, but it was a great event. Uh, you know, there's a million things that can go wrong with the first street event uh, as St. Petersburg and some other cities have found out, but Nashville apparently had it down pretty well. They, uh, they, they pulled that race off without a hitch. Yeah, it's pretty neat the way they go across the uh, river on the uh, the bridges. It's a, it's a neat venue. They had so many yellow flags. I think uh, the the car that led the race for the most laps was the pace car. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a challenging race for the drivers. I mean, it's uh, when you've never been somewhere before, you don't really know what to expect. And these guys were surprised by every turn. It seemed like. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll uh, make some make some tweaks to the track, and uh, next year they'll get some of those kinks figured out. It's uh, really a great uh, venue to have an IndyCar race in. Uh, you, you've uh, you and I have been talking quite a bit over the last year about IMSA, and uh, IMSA is also in play this weekend at Laguna Seca, one of the great tracks in all of motor racing. Um, uh, but uh, you, you wrote for Auto Week this week about what, uh, about what's coming, and uh, IMSA is in a bit of a wall right now. But uh, come next year, we're going to see some really exciting stuff, aren't we? Well, it's uh, it's actually 2023 that we're going to see the exciting stuff. It's uh, oh, yeah, 2022. Yeah, two, two, years, two years away. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 2022 is another lame duck year, but still they're putting together some pretty good fields. Uh, they've got some good cars, and I imagine all the prototypes, uh, even though they're going to change for 2023, I think there'll be plenty for 2022 because why not? The prototypes are going to suddenly turn into antique racing cars uh, at the end of 2022, so they might as well come out and just go balls out for 2020. Two seasons, so I'm expecting some good racing starting with uh, Daytona. And uh, you know, one of the things, the headline for that story is about how this is the new heyday for sports car racing that we thought in the 70s and 80s we were seeing the best sports car racing ever. And John Doonan, the president of IMSA, says that he believes this is going to be the new heyday for uh, sports car racing. Yeah, and, I, and uh, yeah, it's a little counterintuitive, too, because we're here in the industry putting so much money into electrification, and electrification really has not translated uh, to racing. You know, you go back to the 60s and the 70s, and there was so much learned on track that was immediately applied to production cars. You know, uh, the Penske Camaros and the, and the Ford GT40s, all these cars uh, ultimately uh, became synonymous as race and production cars. Electrification, not so much. I mean, Formula E has been a, a test bed for these manufacturers, but there's really not much uh, cross-pollinization between uh, electric cars and racing. Uh, but these guys with IMSA seem to be coming to a nice, uh, get, getting to a nice place. It really is a nice compromise. I mean, the cars will be hybrid, uh, and the hybrid in the LMDH, the Le Mans, Daytona, H, uh, for hybrid, the H is lowercase, and that's kind of appropriate because it's not much of a hybrid. It's, uh, basically a hybrid, uh, and, and not just in name only, but still it's not a very, 
advanced uh, type of uh, hybrid system. So they'll be doing that. And then we've got the GTs uh, coming up, you know, which will follow the GT3 formula. So there is some crossover into street cars, but it's just not going to be with the prototype cars very much. Are the G, are the GT classes coming? Because they're basically going to collapse uh, GTE and and GTLM into one class, right? Are, is there is there going to be any hybridization there? I don't think so. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty much what uh, we've got right now with the GT Daytona cars, and they're just adding a professional element to the GT Daytona cars, which will be uh, factory-sponsored. It's not really going to change, but the car itself is going to change. Right now, the GT Daytona and GT Le Mans cars are very different. The GT Le Mans cars are probably triple the expense of a regular GT3 car, so uh, it's going to cut the expense, but it's going to be a little bit more confusing for uh, uh, the viewers because, uh, you know, you've got to have a, a Porsche 911 in the professional category probably and then the uh, the uh, amateur category. So you're going to have to explain to your partner who doesn't know much about racing exactly why you're watching four different classes on the track instead of three. <laughs> uh, then how how are the specs shaking out with the uh, with the with the uh, prototype cars? The, the LMDH are they going to have uh, sort of a common uh, chassis, or is it going to be more of a common uh, a battery drivetrain? How does that shake out? Well, there's five different chassis that you're able to choose from. I think the Lara is certainly the one that uh, uh, is. Uh, the, going to be the, the, the chassis of choice for some of the manufacturers. And the hybrid system is going to be common. It's going to be just a basic uh, mild hybrid that uh, is going to be certainly interesting to, to have, and that they're going to learn something from it. But as far as it being a real leap forward, uh, I don't really see that happening. And this is probably going to be the same hybrid that they're going to use in NASCAR a few years down the road, and it's going to be similar to the hybrid system in IndyCar, uh, which, like I said, it, 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 it means that the guys that are racing for the manufacturers can say, look, we've got a hybrid. But it's not going to be a hybrid that's going to advance the uh, technology very much. Right. You think it's going to be primarily used for – uh, push to pass, uh, sort of as, as 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 a power boost system. I think it is. I think that system has worked very well since uh, uh, it was introduced on IndyCar and uh, Formula One. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it in uh, IMSA as well. Yeah, yeah. Some some extraordinary names here uh, that you list in your article: Acura, BMW, Audi. Porsche, Lamborghini, apparently thinking about getting into this LMDH uh, prototype series. Uh, will they all be allowed to bring in their own engines so they can, uh, you know, still still promote their brands that way? Yeah, there probably won't be a whole lot else but the engine that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, common to the the manufacturer. Uh, and, of course, uh, Porsche and Audi and Lamborghini are all owned by the same company, so don't be surprised to see uh, basically the same car, probably with a little bit different body accents for 
all three of those manufacturers. And there's more manufacturers coming, according to John Doonan. There's probably at least two more manufacturers we're going to see maybe in 2023, if not 2324. So there's some exciting stuff going on in IMSA. There's no question about that. Yeah, those are those are tremendous brands uh, to, to be able to see them running next to each other. You know, to your original point that this is a heyday of sports car racing. I don't know that we've ever seen that many major manufacturers going at each other in the prototype series, going all the way back to the '60s. Well, they already have 18 manufacturers in IMSA. If you look at all the different IMSA classes, which is just incredible. I don't even know who's in second place with uh, that many manufacturers. Nobody's even close to that. So, uh, you know, the manufacturers pay to race in IMSA. So IMSA is going to be healthy no matter what with 18 manufacturers paying in money in order to race in the series. Yeah. Well, Steve, of course, the other part of this headline is that uh, these these uh, cars will also be racing internationally. So for the first time, uh, Cadillac, uh, Porsche, Acura, they'll all be out there uh, at Le Mans as well as at Daytona. How'd they pull that off? I mean, that's been a long time since the uh, North American and international sanctioning bodies have been able to agree on something. Well, I never thought the Americans and the French would be able to agree on anything, just as you mentioned, and they have on this. Uh, I think the French have agreed a little more than the Americans have. I think they've given up a little bit more, but you're going to have the LNDH cars that are going to be pretty much exactly the same spec going to uh, Le Mans, as you said, and they're going to be able to race for the first time in Daytona and Sebring. So expect to see those and expect to see LMH cars, the ones that, are the, uh, the, that don't have the Daytona Hybrid. They're called the hypercars. They're expected to come over, but they'll be racing. Uh, they're, they're faster than the LMDH cars, so they're going to be dumbed down a little bit with uh, technology to where they all race together. I don't know how much the uh, LMH guys are going to be happy about that, but the hypercar is generally the one that is going to be the top in the class, and they're going to be racing just for the regular win with the LMDH cars here in America. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. A lot, lot to look forward to. Uh, of course, this weekend, um, uh, IMSA prototype uh, GT class is all out there at Laguna Seca, so tune in for that as well. Steve, thanks for joining us as always. Always a pleasure, Henry. Thank you. Yeah, have a great weekend. All right, for our last segment here, we're going to talk a little Subaru sports car. Uh, Very exciting to have a new generation of both the Subaru BRZ and Toyota 86 out there. Uh, This is uh, entry-level sports car, uh, like a Mazda Miata, and uh, affordable things, a lot of fun at the track, a lot of fun on the autocross uh, uh, track. And uh, the Subaru BRZ made big strides in this new 2022 generation by bringing in a boxer engine with another about another half liter, so uh, a little more grunt in your Subaru BRZ. I, I had the opportunity to test drive the car up at Lime Rock uh, racetrack recently. Just had a ball. It's so much fun to drive both on and off track. And uh, I sat down with Michael Reddick who is the car line planner for the Subaru BRZ, and we talked about it. 
All right, this is Henry Payne with 910 AM Superstation, having a good day at the office at Lime Rock Park, one of the premier racetracks in North America, and driving one of the premier sports cars in our industry, the Subaru BRZ, uh, co-manufactured with uh, Toyota. They do an 86, but uh, this really is in the meat and potatoes of Subaru's brand. Um, even, even though it's a rear-wheel drive car, it's got the... Uh, it's got the low boxer engine, uh, really exciting, fun little car. We're joined by uh, Michael Reddick, who is the car line planner, not only for BRZ, but also for WRX and Forrester. And uh, Michael, uh, how do you like this car at Lime Rock? Uh, this is an amazing car, great track, very fast track, and uh, this is perfectly suited to uh, the BRZ's strengths of boxer engine, low center of gravity, uh, low weight, and very nimble handling. You're, you're uh, speaking of low weight. You're, you're, uh, you weigh a lot less than I do. I hope you've had a chance to do some laps in this car. Uh, not yet. I'm actually going to go out on this track. I've done laps in other tracks, but I'll go out on this track after uh, you guys get to experience it. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, so it's a great track. I mean, one of the nice things about Lime Rock too is uh, they've upgraded this facility quite a bit uh, and, and added a, added a, an autocross track here in the infield. So we, as media get to experience not only Lime Rock, the car on a full-blown uh, racetrack like Lime Rock, but I suspect most customers will be autocrossers. This is a natural autocross car. Yes, uh, so that is one of the uh, top motorsports that BRZ customers like to participate in, uh, is autocross. The, uh, you, you handle WRX uh, as well. Uh, how, how do customers approach these two cars? They're both performance cars. They both appeal uh, to a young uh, customer looking for an affordable way to get into competition. How do they approach WRX and BRZ? Uh, so uh, the customers approach uh, WRX as kind of the, uh, for, for sure, their daily driver. It needs to be able to uh, do everything that they might need to do, carry kids, passengers, lots of cargo, lots of luggage, that sort of thing, uh, but also be very fun on the way to their destination. And uh, BRZ is, is a car that the drive in and of itself, those customers are just looking for excitement uh, no matter what they're doing and just driving just for the purpose of driving. Yeah, I've got, I got two, uh, two fast kids, and they've looked at both cars. Um, it, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, how they gravitate toward BRZ, but they tend to be more WRX guys. So the, the demographic may be more of a single, you're, you're more of a single uh, guy or gal if you're looking at a BRZ as opposed to a WRX. That, that is correct. That is correct. So once the responsibilities start to come in, like uh, like kids and, and that sort of thing, then uh, uh, BRZ kind of graduates into a WRX. Yeah. Well, we, we all love this uh, car. I think uh, this is one of the most popular cars uh, among uh, auto journalists, uh, not, not only because it's competition for the Mazda Miata, uh, which we all enjoy as well, but has a very different character than the Mazda Miata. But it's also affordable. I yes. mean, we, we get into so many... Expensive cars these days. I was just ch testing a Porsche 911 GT3 at Road Atlanta, $200,000 car. Great, you know, great to experience, great, great to write about. Yes. But I don't know anybody who owns one. Yes. Whereas uh, this car is very accessible 
uh, and, and that's a big part of its brand. Yes, so we want to make something that uh, is a sports car as pure as possible, uh, but we also want to make sure that it is accessible to uh, the average person, uh, whether it's their first car or their fifth car, uh, that it's something that's, that anybody can get into. You've had this car in the market, uh, since, uh, I think, since 2013. Um, a lot's happened in this industry in that time, uh, and yet here you are with a, with a second-generation car. So uh, clearly you guys feel that there's, uh, there's still a great market for entry-level sports cars. Yes, so uh, a testament to that is as we've uh, come towards the end of the outgoing generation, uh, we sold out of that car maybe five months too soon. So uh, uh, there's still a market and demand for this type of sports car, uh, and we're delivering it with the new generation. Uh, so, um, you know, eight, uh, seven, eight years later, since the introduction of the first one, uh, you're still in the, basically the same bones of this car, but you've made some major changes. Talk about that and why you felt these changes were necessary. Um, so uh, we uh, have taken the uh, outgoing vehicle and, and started with that platform and really enhanced it. Uh, we've learned a lot from the Subaru Global Platform in uh, how to make a vehicle very rigid, how to make it handle better, and we've applied uh, what we learned there to the BRZ. So uh, less welds and more um, uh, adhesive to the vehicle uh, to make the structure more rigid, um, uh, things like uh, tying the stabilizer bar to the body instead of to the subframe so that we can reduce body roll. Uh, so we've taken a lot of uh, what we've learned with our new global platform and applied it to this platform so it feels like an all-new uh, platform. Uh, uh, in, in terms of um, uh, electronics, how, how much has changed there? Uh, so electronics, it's a, uh, I would say massively uh, with the uh, new technolo uh, technology there. So additional uh, safety equipment like EyeSight, uh, new head unit, uh, new Starlink uh, telematics as well. So we've, we've taken a, a large leap forward, uh, new digital gauge cluster, a large leap forward with the uh, electronics in the vehicle. Uh, and I think, uh, again, just given the, the huge changes that have come in the industry in the last decade, uh, people expect that. I mean, if you come yes. into a Subaru yes. VRZ out here in farmland of Connecticut, you plug in your Apple CarPlay, how do I get to Lime Rock Park? Yes. That's, uh, that's pretty natural. Although, but I, I think you guys, uh, you had that from the get-go with this car. Uh, we started with uh, a built-in embedded navigation on the vehicle and then transitioned later on to uh, offering uh, CarPlay and navigation. And, and with this vehicle, uh, because this customer is so young, it's one of the youngest sports car customers, uh, we are offering CarPlay and uh, an Android Auto and uh, using that for navigation. It's fascinating, too, that uh, you guys have hooked up with another manufacturer uh, to make this car. Sounds like the marriage is working because uh, you're you're producing a second-generation car. Uh, Mazda did that with Fiat uh, on their little uh, sports car. Um, what, what's that relationship like? I mean, that, that must be interesting to be working Toyota, big uh, manufacturer, Subaru, small manufacturer. Uh, how, how does that work? Uh, it works very well. Uh, we are both two very strong customers, or very strong uh, uh, companies and we both know the customers very well and we both have strengths in motorsports. Uh, so it was a natural fit for us to work with Toyota and, and as you said it's 
it's clearly gone well because there isn't a second generation. Uh, there's not a second generation of uh, Miata and, uh, and, and Fiat Roadster, uh, but there is a second generation VRZ uh, and 86, so it's gone very well. Yeah, so, so talk about how you guys uh, split split duties. Who, who, who takes responsibility for what in the partnership? Uh, so Toyota takes the lead uh, with the planning, so they took the lead with the planning for the vehicle and also with the interior and exterior design. Uh, they were the lead there, and uh, we were the lead with the actual engineering and then subsequently the manufacturing uh, of the vehicle. So there's a, a lot of super DNA, uh, obviously, with it being our platform and uh, using uh, our boxer engine. So uh, manufacturing and engineering uh, were two leads. Uh, Toyota's getting a little crazy these days with uh, styling. I noticed this car has a has a duck tail in the yes. rear, which uh, reminds me of a of a Supra. Um, is is uh, I, I'm surprised at how conservative uh, the Toyota 86 is. Your all's general styling is more conservative, more timeless. But Toyota likes to do crazy things with with its Lexi and with its Toyota. Um, is is that a, is that a challenge, or that's really their decision? Um, we worked together with uh, overall with design, even though they were taking the lead. And one of the main things that we wanted to do with this vehicle was keep uh, uh, the weight down as low as, as possible and also uh, remove anything from the vehicle that would uh, affect aerodynamics and that sort of thing and tie as much of the aerodynamics into the actual design of the vehicle. Uh, another big focus was to make sure the design felt timeless, uh, that it wasn't just a vehicle for this year or next year, uh, but uh, 10 years from now, someone could look at a BRZ and say, hey, that's a really good looking car. Uh, so focusing on all of those things together uh, really came with a more uh, minimal but fully integrated design uh, that turned out to be uh, 86 and BRZ. So a little bit of a different approach, uh, but trying to keep the weight as low as possible and uh, clean up aerodynamics as much as possible uh, uh, really led to uh, a no-frills design. Yeah. I'm curious your opinion. Uh, as, as I say, there, there's so much changing in this industry these days. There's a big trend toward uh, electrification. You guys, I think, have partnered with Toyota on electric uh, platform, too. Um, as, as you look at um, your portfolio, cars like the BRZ, where, where do you see the advantages in electrification going forward? Uh, the advantages of, of electrification going forward, obviously with electrification you get that instant torque uh, and then uh, maybe less less of a concern for sports car fans is uh, the increased efficiency and fuel economy and that sort of thing. So uh, uh, it's something, electrification is obviously here now and it will be something we continue to look at going forward. Yeah, the, uh, in this, this specific car, I'm, I'm a Tesla uh, Model 3 performance owner. I like to take it to the track. Uh, has, a, has a very low center of gravity. In fact, Tesla boasts that uh, its center of gravity is almost as low as a Subaru BRZ. Um, even with all those batteries in the bottom, they can't quite get to where you are. Uh, but, the, but the challenge uh, for electric cars is weight. Uh, you talked about uh, how important it is that this be a lightweight car. Uh, the Teslas as you add power, you add battery, you add weight, uh, that's going to be a real challenge. 
Uh, that is definitely uh, going to be a challenge, and uh, uh, luckily our uh, parent company comes from an aerospace engineering background, so uh, and still involved in, uh, in manufacturing uh, aspects of, of uh, commercial airplanes. Uh, so if there's a group that will be able to mitigate some of the challenges when it comes to weight, uh, uh, I, I think we'll be able to do it. Yeah, I just uh, uh, further on that point, you guys are the benchmark for lowest center of gravity uh, in the industry. I think Porsche just nipped you with a GT3. With one model. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still low, you're lower than the Boxster? Yes. You're lower than the regular 911? Yes, and lower than the Cayman as well. So uh, we've done a lot of hard work to make sure that we can keep our mass down, uh, even compared to some of the other Boxster engine-equipped vehicles. Uh, so that's a, a kudos to our engineers for being able to deliver on that. Yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, looking broader to the other products, uh, that, that you, you deal with, with the WRX, with the, the Forester. Uh, same question there with, with the electrification. Uh, you guys are a fascinating brand because you're not just a performance brand, you're a value brand. Yes. I mean, it, it matters to your customer that you can deliver them a sports car under $30,000, that you can deliver them a, a vehicle like the uh, Crosstrek at uh, $26,000. I mean, they're, these are all-wheel drive, extremely affordable capable vehicles, uh, you guys, your, your customer seems to be uh, generally green demographically, but you, you guys have, have, have not pushed into all electric and hybrid like some other manufacturers. Um, so you know that we do have, uh, this is our second generation of an electrified uh, Crosstrek, uh, and then we have uh, the Solterra uh, EV that we have announced that's right around the corner. So as you can imagine, uh, and with our partnership with Toyota, a strong history of, of electrification, uh, that you'll see a ramp up of electrified vehicles into the future. Uh, but as of, as of now, we start with uh, uh, Crosstrek plug-in hybrid, and uh, we'll have Solterra uh, in the near future as well. Yeah, the, the Crosstrek uh, plug-in was a thirty-seven thousand dollar car, I think, about ten grand north of, uh, well, probably what, more like uh, seven grand north of a comparable gas engine Crosstrek. Is, is that the biggest challenge you guys see? Is is cost? and maybe range for a Subaru customer? Uh, I think that's probably the biggest challenge for uh, any company that's electrifying. It, it obviously, uh, batteries cost a lot, packaging the batteries costs a lot, uh, developing uh, costs a lot. Uh, so uh, we're just like everybody else working through uh, those packaging and cost constraints and uh, uh, working towards uh, the electric future that we've got. Yeah, I, I would think, again, uh, my experience with the Tesla, uh, lovely car, tremendous metro car, uh, clearly inferior to a gas car when I go on trips. Yes. People take their Subarus yes. to the far corners yes. of the earth. Uh, I would expect that would be uh, that would be the biggest argument for a plug-in solution for you guys versus all electric. Uh, so that is uh, going to be a consideration, but uh, just rest assured, no matter what we're doing uh, with electric, uh, it'll be a Subaru first. So it will be able to uh, make it to the trail. It'll be able to make it on the favorite trails. It'll be able to be used for uh, the outdoor adventure that customers expect to be able to do with the, with the Subaru vehicle. Yeah. Well, Michael Reddick, uh, car, car line planner for the Subaru BRZ, really appreciate your uh, uh, joining us today and for hosting us out here at Lime Rock. This is a, this is a perfect BRZ spot. 
I'm super excited that you guys are able to come out here and uh, uh, experience the BRZ, and uh, uh, I hope that uh, you have a fantastic day. Yeah, yeah, we're back to the track. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Visit Central Park Deli today and receive 10% off any purchase when ordering from our mobile app and enter promo code 910AM. Our new menu items include gluten-free wraps, spinach wraps, fried spicy buffalo cauliflower, and sweet potato maple cheesecake. Don't forget about our always delicious Seidgensburg corned beef, our fresh hand-patty charbroiled 100% premium beef burgers, and our homemade teriyaki stir-fries. Central Park Deli has curbside service available and DoorDash delivery. Come visit us today. Are you looking for a great deal on TV advertising? Are you searching for an avenue to get your business name out to the public? With WADL TV 38, we're offering a great special with 50 commercial ads for a great price. This offer is for a 30-day ad placement and can be renewed as often as you choose. Please contact Ronisha Williams for more information at 313-434-8291. That's 313-434-8291. Or email at ronesha at wadldetroit.com. If you or a loved one underwent hernia surgery between 2010 and 2016 and then suffered serious complications, call right now. You may be entitled to financial compensation. Complications associated with FISO-Mesh include chronic pain, infection, adhesions, mesh migration, reopening of the hernia, and other serious injuries. Call right now. Call 1-800-799-2091. Again, that's 1-800-799-2091. Attention! In July 2018, Bayer announced that it will be halting its sales of Assure. The Assure birth control may break or migrate after insertion, puncturing the fallopian tube, resulting in corrective surgery to remove the device. Thousands of women have reported debilitating health problems to the FDA. In April 2018, the FDA restricted sales of Assure to protect women and required that patients receive risk information. Please call 800-425-9539. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Hunter Ellis, and this is Atomic Beam USA. Another bright idea from Bulbhead, the ultra-bright, tough-grade flashlight that features tactical technology used by U.S. Special Forces. This flashlight has a feeble 125 lux output. The Atomic Beam USA has up to 5,000 lux. That's 40 times more. We're going to drop it hundreds of feet from this helicopter. It hits the tarmac, and it's still working. That's what I call a tough flashlight. Heavy downpours, mud puddles, even extreme.